0: We have been in a sermon series entitled Spiritual Conversations in the Evening, mainly because as we discuss those difficult questions that you may face as you enter into uh, gospel presentations and spiritual conversations with people who don't know Christ... You uh, also, I think, I wanted you to be equipped to engage and to be more comfortable in living evangelistically, what that looks like. And so, as in some ways, the morning service is more geared towards maybe those who are seeking and who have doubts. The evening service has been more about equipping you as the saints uh, to go out and to engage in these spiritual conversations uh, with the people who are around you, with the people who are in your life, and um, and so that's what we've been doing. So I have two passages for us this evening, Matthew chapter 14 was the first one, Matthew chapter 14, which is probably a very familiar passage to many of you, starting at verse 13, it's page 1520. It's the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached the disciples came to him and said this is a remote place and it's already getting late send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food Jesus replied they do not need the food they do not need to go away you give them something to eat We have here only 5 loaves of bread and 2 fish they answered bring them here to me he said and he directed the people to sit down on the grass taking the 5 loaves and the 2 fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke the loaves then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over the number of those who ate was about 5000 men besides women and children and also 1st Thessalonians chapter 1 Pew Bible page 1837 1837 Starting in verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. That's part of the teaching of God's holy word and the reading of it. I want you to think of a time when you worked together with friends on a service project uh, or something like that. And I want you to consider what impact it had on you personally or what impact it had on the relationships that you had with your friends by participating in this uh, act of service. I can think of vividly the many times that I took mission trips down to uh, San Diego area, then we would drive into Tijuana, and we would build a house for uh, a Mexican family who uh, was living basically in, in a sort of Shacks that they had put together from trash that they could find. And I can vividly think of the personal relationships that I created mixing concrete and building these slats and putting this stuff, the stucco, on the sides of of the wall. The sweat that we produced, the constant reminders to drink water because it was so hot, the events and the opportunities and the experiences. That I had with those group of people. And I consider the way that even those opportunities shaped my life. And shaped my walk with Christ. Even to this day. And that's really what we're talking about this evening. We're talking about uh, what it means to serve together with others. What it means to participate in uh, acts of service even with those who do not yet know Christ. So, our theme this evening serving with those we're trying to reach creates opportunities. To express our faith. Not whatever that is. I think I started spelling the next word. In, you could say word and deed. Creates opportunities to express our faith in word and in deed. And we're going to look at this in three parts. The medium, and by that I don't mean the spiritual type medium. I'll explain later. Two, the model. And number three, the manner. The medium, the model, and the manner. Serving with those we're trying to reach creates opportunities. Opportunities? I'm horrible. I think that's how you spell it, right? I had it right. I'm second-guessing myself. To express our faith in word and deed. And I think that's part of living evangelistically. It's inviting these people that we're trying to reach along with us as we live out our Christian life. And it doesn't even have to be in a um, a very, you know... I, for lack of a better term, fake word, like I plan, I, I'm going to plan a particular service act so I can bring my non-Christian friends along. But as we go about the normal Christian life that we have, loving and serving others, we invite them along, we invite them in, we, at, we allow them to look at what we're doing, the way we live our lives and what we do. And uh, I think that op- provides opportunities to uh, open up conversations and talk to them about the things that Christ has done for us in our lives. So, let's look first at the medium. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Marshall McLuhan, in the 1960s, was a very influential communication theorist. And he predicted a lot of what we're seeing today, back even then, when the... uh, The whole boom of television and radio was was happening. And he coined the phrase, the medium is the message. The medium is the message. And the medium here means the means or the means by which the message is sent out, is the message itself, if that makes sense. Let me try to explain it more. He believed that the means or the medium of communication was intimately related to how the message is perceived. The way a message is communicated has as much to say as the message itself. And the mediums, of course, have changed the way we behave. Studies have shown that our memory Our memory spans, our ability to to memorize, has been reduced due to things like digital technology. Or you could say it like this. News stories have been replaced by 140-character tweets. You can't communicate as much information in a small blurb on the Internet as you can in a 10-minute news story reel. Conversations have been replaced with these little smiley face things called emojis. And maybe you don't understand that, but you probably understand this because I think many of us have this debate. We can talk about uh, the difference between an actual physical book and a digital version like a Kindle. And we have our opinions, right? I like to hold that book in my hand. I don't like reading the Bible off my phone. I like having the physical paper. Or someone could say, I think the Kindle is nice because you can have thousands of books on a small device. And if you're ever reading and you don't know a word, you can just hold on it and it will give you the definition. But those are different mediums by which we come to the message. And this man was saying... The medium affects the way that we understand or take in the message. Now we have young children trying to turn the noise of their parents off with a remote control. Or we have people who are learning more and more and more to be visually stimulated rather than audibly stimulated. That's why many people today say sermons are boring, and they need me to wave my hands real fast up here. But when you take this concept that the medium is the message, and you apply it to the way that God has communicated to us, the means by which God has communicated his message to mankind, it becomes profound, because the medium is the message can be applied to the incarnation. Of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Word become flesh, dwelling among us, communicating God Himself and everything He did. John 1 says that Jesus is the exegeter, He is the explainer of God the Father, He is the revealer of God the Father. And Christ, in His flesh, in His body, Explain God to us not just in what he said, not just in what he said, but also in what he did. Not just what he said, but what he did. And that's important for us to understand because the book of James goes as far to say, you cannot be only hearers of God's word, you must also be doers. And the definition of someone who hears God's word but does not do God's word is a hypocrite. And even for James, in the book of James, someone who has a dead faith, not a living faith. So Jesus is the medium and the message, and he is incarnate. He is a body. He is an embodied person with a reasonable so all that the God-man did then, of course, was preserved for us in the Scriptures that we may understand who God is through Christ. Now, we, of course, may not be an incarnation in the same way Jesus is. We're not going to be. We never will be. But God does use us as the medium, the means... It's us to bring the message of salvation to this lost and hopeless and dying world. We're the means. And it's important that we not forget that we are embodied human beings, that we are flesh, that we have bodies. And all of our imperfections and failings We are God's choice for communicating himself to people who are not yet in relationship with him. This means that our sharing must not only be in words, but also in actions, because the medium is the message. We must not only say, but we must do. There's an often quoted uh, church father who probably didn't say this, but he says, Preach the gospel use words when necessary. Now, we understand that. We know that what that's saying is that the way we live our lives says something about the gospel that we believe. And there is a nugget of truth in that. But the gospel, of course, has content. And Mormon people do really nice things as well. And so do Muslim people. And so do Buddhists. And so do New Age spiritualists. There's a lot of kind-natured people out there who do wonderful things for others who don't know the gospel. So that's insufficient, of course. We must share the good news, but uh, we must uh, bring our uh, living the gospel in line with our proclaiming the gospel as best we can. And I would say, uh, don't think I don't know that, but that's what we're getting to next week, sharing ...is what we're getting to next week. So right now I'm just talking about serving together. So let's look at the model. I uh, started by reading that very popular, very familiar passage about the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, it's important because it explains to us the way that Jesus would often do this with his disciples... He would invite them in to consider what it is that he was about to do. And in this particular situation, there's even a clear explanation in one of the other gospels as to who he was asking questions to, how someone was to go and, 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 and figure out how much food they have. They found this boy who had the five fish. And Jesus is doing all this because he's inviting the disciples in. He's inviting the disciples to be a part of this. He's telling the disciples to set the, the people out in, in groups, Right? He's giving the food to the disciples to serve, but we often don't consider why it is that he's doing this. Jesus often asked people to participate in the work that he was doing, even though that they didn't typically understand who he was. Take, for example, asking the servants at the wedding to fill 30-gallon pots with water when the wine had run out. Take, for example, the Samaritan woman. He asked her for a drink at the well in the heat of the day. Take, for example, the lame man that he told to get up and carry his mat. And we can go on and on and on. The blind man that he said, uh, go down to the, the pool and wash. The, uh, the one who he told to put clay on his eyes. It goes on and on and on. The question is, why did Jesus ask people to take part in these actions. Why is he doing this? To take part in the action when he was about to reveal more of the grace, power, and love of God. And I think this is partly because this reoccurring theme in the scriptures is this idea that an expression of faith is counterpart, is part, is essential to what Jesus is doing, that they have to express a faith in Jesus in order for Jesus to reveal his power through them. And that kind of thing can be debated, but uh, that's not necessarily the point that I'm trying to make here. Uh, obedience to his commands reveals faith, but also I want to say because action on Jesus's behalf may prepare people to understand More of who he is. So he calls them into action. Because the act of service. Or the act of participating. Opens them up. To who he is. Got to screw that back in or something. He invited many to participate in the work of God with them, that through their witnessing of his power, both in speech and in action, they may come to embrace by faith his identity as the Messiah. His identity as the Messiah. That there's something about doing, embodying the thing that, that Christ has said to us. That begins to reveal to us who Christ is and reveal to others who Christ is. So, of course, he's the model, and we're not going to perfectly uh, reflect that model, but he gives us an idea of, of what this looks like, asking people to join in the service that we are doing to God with us. And the last thing that we're going to look at here is the manner. We usually think that we should serve people in order to demonstrate God's love. And then if they become Christians, they can join us in serving others. So we as Christians do an act of service for non-Christians. And then if they become Christians, they can join us in doing uh, acts of service, if they're, if they're Christians now. Now, there's nothing wrong with this model, and I think that we can do that. We can, we can, without any consideration of someone's spiritual background or their faith, express the love of God in acts of service to whomever we may come across. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But I'm particularly thinking about those people that we've been noticing that we've been praying for, that we've been joining in conversations with, that we've been learning about, that we've been being welcoming to, that we've been loving and building this relationship with, okay? And so there's a temptation to say they haven't embraced faith in Christ. Therefore, this Christian service project that I'm going to do, I shouldn't invite them along because, well, they're not a Christian. And there can be a fear of, of doing so, because maybe they would confuse uh, works with grace, right? They see me doing this Christian service, and they won't know that it's out of my gratitude that I'm doing this service, not because I need to earn salvation. That makes sense? And I think there's an understanding, there's, it's, it's understandable why we would have this fear, But I believe that we should trust the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like we talked about last week in facilitating the the emphasis upon dependence upon the Holy Spirit to work and the lives of people who are working alongside us so the gospel can come not simply with words but also with power, not just spoken, modeled, not just spoken. But model. Model looks weird the way I wrote it. I don't know if I spelled it right. Not just spoken, but modeled, And this is why I read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Over and over again, Paul talks about how he's joined them in, in service to many different churches. He writes about this, Right? And he, he just expresses these same things here to the church in Thessalonica. He mentions them in their prayers, continually remembers before his God and Father the, uh, the work produced by faith, the labor prompted by love, their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says here, for we know, in verse 4, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And Paul was often telling them how he did not want to take any money from them. He worked as a tent, uh, tent maker in order to not be a burden to them. But he did this so that as he came among this church in Thessalonica, they could see the way that he lived and become imitators of him and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, then Paul says, this embrace of the gospel that you have received, that has led to work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, this gospel that came to you not only in words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction, has gone out. And the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, and not only there, but all over, everywhere, has become known. This is a kind of gospel revolution that comes not only from hearing the content of the gospel with words, but also a wonderful Awakening of the Holy Spirit that results in living out the gospel in a profound way.
1: Hugh Halter,
0: in his book, The Tangible Kingdom, speaks in some of these ways. He says, the incarnational big story gospel will require a place of discovery where people will be able to see the truth before they hear about it. See the truth before they hear about it. This place will not be a location, but a community of people who are inclusive of everyone. These people will make eternity attractive by how they live such selfless lives now, and will be modeling life in a new kingdom in ways that will make it easy for other people to give it a try. Now, I'd probably correct cue a little bit and maybe paint it a little slightly different and say, okay, well maybe it's not necessarily that it's attractive and it looks easy, so we're going to give people, uh, people who are going to see it are going to give it a try, but maybe they would see us in the midst of suffering and pain and hardship, loving and caring for each other and clinging to that hope that those who do not have the gospel have. That would be attractive, not because it's easy, but because it's real, true, meaningful. So I think there's a balance to this as well. I mean, I think that non-Christians should be jealous of the fellowship that we have as believers, the deep, heartfelt fellowship that you would expect amongst people who are going to spend eternity together. The love and the bond that we have with one another. The communion of saints. As the Apostles' Creed says. But I want you to think of that. The, the idea that for many in this embittered and skeptical world who have seen on the television screens all of the bad things about Christianity and the big high-profile pastors who have fallen from grace and who have brought shame to the name of Christ and even places and churches who are fighting. There's infighting. There's stuff going on. People see this now. It's out in the open. That we may need to create an environment where non-Christians can see the truth. Before they hear the truth. Can see it before they hear it. Now that doesn't mean that they can see the truth. And believe in the gospel. But it does mean. That as they look at God's word. And they look at the way that Christ. Has commanded us to live. That they can say. Well yeah. We see that. You don't necessarily live up to that. But we. We. See that you are striving to live kingdom lives, and that is honorable. Inviting individuals to serve with you is a loving and welcoming act, it's something that expresses to them that you value their contributions and you provide opportunities to affirm their unique God-given abilities, even if they aren't Christians yet. This can be serving at a food pantry, assisting in disaster relief, joining a community recycling project, helping a fellow neighbor who has become shut in from an illness that they are struggling with, helping a single mom down the road that doesn't have anybody to watch her kids. Whatever it may be, you are inviting this person that you've been praying about, noticing Asking questions about, seeking to get to know them better, welcoming them into your lives. I would just say that this, this act of serving together is more like an extension of welcoming them into your life, isn't it? Serving together invites people into a relational environment where they can see and feel the gospel being lived out. And I would say you shouldn't be surprised... If these moments open up meaningful conversations about God, like my many Mexico mission trips did, you spend so much time with the same people doing the same things, you gain a shared experience, like cadet campouts, whatever it may be. Those are opportunities that we have and, and experiences that we have that provide a shared experience and an opportunity to delve deeper with people in relationship with people. And as these people that you are praying for and praying to God that they would come to salvation begin to experience the difference that Jesus has made in your life and my life and our lives they may see they may see by God's grace his character shining through us and they're probably going to find out that we're a mixed bag. Sometimes we're good at reflecting Christ and sometimes we're not. But I want to say we should capitalize on those opportunities that we fail as well. When the pressure is on us, when we're weak, when we get angry and burst out, we can say that the message of the gospel comes through then because we're honest with them about our need for forgiveness, about our need for a savior each and every day. You see, the medium of service, of doing something together, of having a shared experience, creates opportunities to share the gospel. It's an extension of welcoming them into your life. And I would say, too, it may even be an opportunity to consider our lives, mine included, and ask ourselves is there any service that I'm doing? that I would share with someone I'm seeking to bring to Christ. And if not, maybe that's something to ponder. Engaging in serving experiences with those we are trying to reach provides the opportunity to show God's love to them, to grow even our own faith, to build greater trust, and deepen our relationships with this person. By participating in service with you, your friends and family who do not know Christ are provided the opportunity to experience and encounter God in a fresh way and provides opportunities for you to open your mouth and to share with them the reason for the hope that's within you. To share with them the good news of the gospel, that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what we're going to talk about Next week in the evening, what that sharing looks like. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We pray that you would help us to seek out opportunities to serve others, to love our neighbors, that you may continue to work in our lives That we may come to know and to grow our relationships with those we are seeking to bring to knowledge of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we may continue to trust and be dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in doing so. That we may join with them in acts of service. That they may see the inner workings of the way our lives and our hearts have been changed to love others and to consider others more important than ourselves and to even show them where we fail and sometimes stumble and how we continually need your grace extended to us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be the means by which your message goes out. That it would not only be in what we say but also in what we do that our character and our lives and the way that we love others and embrace others would adorn the gospel. Would make the gospel beautiful to those who need hope in life in this world apart from you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.